Jones, and you're listening to From the Front Porch. Today is episode five, and Katie and I will be talking about our favorite books on education, since it's that back-to-school time again, and we'll also be talking about what words make up our very own fingerprints. Stay tuned! This has definitely been on my mind a lot. Um, as we have a child we're preparing to send off to school and I'm going back into the teaching field. And there are so many. I love reading education books. Um, and just in the past few months, several I've really enjoyed. So one, I saw a bunch of copies at the bookstore behind the counter and was curious what ev- why everybody was reading this book called Creating Innovators. That's right. Brookwood, uh, I think, read mm-hmm. that this year. Brookwood is one of our schools here in town. And they have a new headmaster who's requiring all the teachers to read it, which I thought was fascinating. I'm a huge public school advocate, but um, just the idea that he's wanting to bring so much innovation and it seems like he's already putting in a bunch of innovative policies I think is really great. But that as an overall education book I thought was phenomenal. And not just for educators, but for parents, for employers, um, for maintaining a creative business, for problem solving. It just touched on so many different things that I think will be so very relevant and one of the um, issues I think he brings up is just where our economy is going you know this next generation that we're raising isn't going to have the cushy 40-year job salary jobs they might have to piece things together a little bit more and problem solve and figure out how to create their own jobs okay um and since Scott and I true yeah (laughs) um, I think you and I both see that yeah Um, and yeah Scott and I are bootstrappers and kind of have pieced together our own jobs and and have enjoyed doing that and the problem solving and skills that it takes to do that I think are so hugely important um, and are just fun life skills anyway to have um, and that's what I'm going back to teaching creative thinking so that that book I think was particularly inf- um, influential and so as somebody who doesn't yet have children although I do find education in the school system especially in Thomasville fascinating um why should I read creating innovators okay so first he talks a lot about just the importance of play okay. and <laughs> I tell you that's important um and it's a very anecdotal book and I think I always like those kinds so he takes these very innovative people, um, the heads of different innovative companies, and say, how did you get to where you are, and what kind of parenting, what kind of schooling did you have to get there? Okay. Um, And so one of the very common themes was a lot of these kids went to Montessori schools across the board. A lot of their parents kind of just kicked them out of their house and say, go play outside and create your own adventures. Yeah. Read. Do not watch TV. Like, Do not, six hours a day, I think is some some averages for some ages right now. And yeah, so just turn off the TV and and learn to create um, Uh was a big theme in the book that I think anybody um, can use. But um, yeah, so. Okay. And the other thing, I'm sorry, the other thing he talks about is different places that are doing this really well. And one of the places I'd never heard was Olin College or Olin University in Boston. And it's an engineering school that's predominantly female or close to at least close to half female but they're um 
they're doing this very applied learning and taking that higher education is so often theoretical and the professors are writing stuff that two to three people read. Mm -hmm. But here the professors are doing real life problem solving. So they'll partner with corporations and the corporations will give them problems that they have to work on and these kids will work on engineering problems from the real world. Oh. And they also combine that with the humanities. And so I think I that, like that, to me, I never think, I, I thought, would never have considered going into engineering school even though right. I think I would enjoy that problem solving. Mm -hmm because I was so drawn to the humanities. Right. But if there's an education that kind of melds them and see how those two can right. inform each other, I think that's kind of Which fascinating. Which they can inform each other, I think. But we, I think we've really segregated education yeah. a lot. Yeah, and actually I was just reading an article about that, um, about Bill Gates' his new push, his big history, and that's okay. kind of the thing is to take history, but the history of the world and all the subject areas and kind of meld the sciences and history you know I mean oh, we, we, we should learn it as a unit not as distinct subjects oh, and that's that. relatively new that we've been um, se separating can you email me the article absolutely and that'll be in our show notes yes we're gonna start having show notes to tell you what books we're reading and what articles kind of inspire our conversation so we'll definitely include that one um, so I think one book I recommended to you was mm -hmm. Whatever It Takes, yes. which is a book by Paul Tuff. Um, he most recently wrote How Children Succeed, which is kind of another book along these lines. Um, but Whatever It Takes is a book I was drawn to by listening to an old episode of This American Life. Mm -hmm. uh, this American Life is one of my favorite podcasts, and so I was listening to their archives. And in that particular episode, Paul was interviewing or was following... Uh, around Jeffrey Canada and Jeffrey Canada went into Harlem and kind of started this uh, what was Harlem Children's Zone yeah. mm -hmm. um, the Harlem Children's Zone and so this book is all about his kind of tactics what worked and what didn't work I, I really liked that about the book that it was pretty honest about the things that didn't work so well and, mm -hmm. and the challenges um, Canada faced um, so what do you think? Um, I loved it. I thought this was particularly interesting because one of the things that I was reading in another of these education books, The Smartest Kids in the World by Amanda Ripley, is about the dichotomy in the American education system and what the poor kids are getting versus what the rich kids are getting. Mm -hmm. And I think this offers what could be somewhat of a solution for those kids mm -hmm. who aren't getting it and that are falling through the cracks. And is this, um, and to be quite honest, I really have not finished it yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how he concludes or how effective it was, but it seems right. like I like the idea of it's it's not one thing that happens in the school that's going to create a successful kid. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to start from the get-go, from that in utero child that right. you're talking to. Um, and he talks about the word deficit of poor children. I thought that was fascinating. As a non-parent, uh -huh. um, I so uh, Paul Tuff... Uh, and Jeffrey Canada. Jeffrey Canada's whole premise is if you can, if I can get that child as a baby and I can be with him until I think high school is the mm -hmm. end goal. Um, and so he even talks with these parents of these children before they're even born. Yeah. And he does, it's baby, baby college. college. Yep. Um, and that's what the whole This American Life episode um, segment was about. But um, this idea that these parents previous you know, before attending baby college, they weren't reading aloud to their kids, which to me seems normal, but I realize it's not necessarily normal. And 
this word deficit he talks about like how many words you use with your children each day and you realize what an advantage some of us have had um, that other children don't and it's really eye-opening how young you have to start right and we'll have to put it in show notes because I don't remember the number but by the time a middle income to high income child is three they've heard millions and millions more mm-hmm. words in these low-income children and it's just you don't know that you're supposed to talk to your children. Right. I will say, you might not want to talk too much because then you might raise a child that won't shut up. And <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I, I had learned about that word deficit as our first child was born. And so I was talking to her all the time and now she won't shut up. But so, she is so verbal. I mean, she's very verbal, Which I think is, well, I think it's wonderful. I mean, you know, and I, and that's as a non-parent who doesn't spend all day with her. But, but um, I think that's really incredible. And there's a, there's a little child that comes into the bookshelf and we see a lot of children um in the bookshelf on a daily basis and this particular kid I love when she comes in the store because she is I think she just turned two but she knows our names she says hi Mm -hmm. Annie um she sits down and her mother reads to her and it's really impressive to me I have no idea what kind of mother I will be like but um, it's inspiring to see, oh, okay, she sits down and she reads with her and she talks to her um, and uses a lot of different words and a lot of different tones. And that was another thing I think that was mentioned along with the word deficit. It's not just that they aren't hearing the same amount of words. The types of words they are hearing are different. Yeah, and then they talk about how much is negative versus positive. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I thought that was an interesting conversation. They also talked about how discipline was used in the house. Yes. And it's funny, we have a we have a very in our community, corporal punishment is king right. and discipline and welcome to the South, right? <laughs> um, and he challenged those that a little bit. And especially for these people who have known nothing else and that they don't take that so well all the time. I think no. it's hard to Well and I think that's what is so great about the book is that it shows where the parents kind of pushed back a little like wait a minute I don't want to you know I need to spank my children or uh-huh. you know and he kind of would push the teachers would push back to them like no here's some alternatives for you and um but this concept that when they're ch- when they're little like they're getting a huge education there's um there's a film series or a television series actually that Jordan and I have watched on Netflix um I believe it's a BBC production um, and it's called the Up series. We find this fascinating. I think we've actually probably told you and Scott about it and probably talked your ears off. Because when Jordan and I get into something, we really get into it. And so it's this series that starts filming these children. It started decades ago now um, when they were seven years old. And the whole premise was, give me a child when he is seven and I will show you the man. And the point was, let's follow these children. I think it was like 10 kids from England. Let's follow them and see what they're like as they age. And every seven years, they would refilm them. And I think they're up to 64 or uh-huh. something. And we, we watched it like the moment it was released on Netflix. We were so excited. Um, but when you read these books, you realize how powerful those first few years of life are mm-hmm. and how important talking to your children and reading to your children and and listening to certain kinds of music with your kids. I mean, I know my mom told that when I was a baby, she listened classical music had Uh just been released as the big thing. And she said, while she was pregnant with me, she listened to classical music Uh and she and my dad read to me and, and I, I I guess (laughs) and look, here I am. So, um, but I, I love hearing about what tools parents can be using because how you raise your children when they're little really does have an impact when they're later. It's true. And I think 
it's hard when you're in in the fight of raising kids to know what those tools are and so one I think it's helpful to think about it before you have kids Mm -hmm. but then also as you're going along to step back and say what am I doing Um, and one of the books that I brought is The Well-Trained Mind A Guide to Classical Education at Home Oh, and this is old school this is maybe 30 or 40 years old and has kind of been a canon type book for homeschooling parents Um, and in some ways I think it's a little dated and I don't um, agree with all the opinions in it but the resourcing in it is phenomenal and I guess I kept hearing people that I really respected um, mention it on blogs all the time yes and I think I list I heard it talked about on um, one of the blogs that or one of the podcasts that you recommended Annie Um, but it has a great book list a great list of um, if you're gonna watch movies here are some of the ones um, that can be enriching for your family or music or activities those kinds of things um, but it, in terms of resourcing families, I think a well-trained mind is a good place to start. I just really like their appendix. You don't even have to read the chapters. You can just read just the appendix. Just have it on, yourself like a, on yourself like a dictionary. It's a reference book. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, after or while you've been reading all of these books, you're going kind of back into the teaching world a little bit, but you're also raising a soon-to-be kindergartner. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know, are these books helping you? How are they helping no, you? No, they just make you so much more confused. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think the bottom line is is every kid is so different. Right. We have so many options now. Being aware of those options and, um, you know, I don't know that it's anything new. I probably am tending towards books that are, that are confirming what I think in that I like the idea of play and creation and creativity. I think there's probably some room for structure. I'm not a structured person, so really, <laughs> um, so I'm probably just reinforcing what I tend towards. Right. But um, but yeah, I the other thing, um, the other book I had mentioned was the Smartest Kids in the World in the World by Amanda Ripley, and I think that's interesting just in a policy um, view of like what different education, mm-hmm. what different countries are doing with their education systems and what they're doing right and what Mm -hmm. they're doing wrong. Um, And one of the big points in that is that the smartest countries are prioritizing their teachers and teachers pay Mm -hmm. and the equity of the school systems and not technology. I mean, they'll say the smartest countries don't have smart boards and don't have iPads for every student. And so what if we took some of that money that we're spending on smart boards and put it into really good people? Mm. And That's so interesting. My brother is a teacher now. He uh-huh. um, graduated this May with his master's, and so now he is teaching. And um, the school he is working with is a great, uh, great program, great reputation. All the kids have iPads, mm-hmm. and my brother is practically a Luddite, and so he's <laughs> like, I told them they can't use them in my classroom. Like, I don't want. Did you say he's practically an erudite? No, oh, okay. <laughs> luddite. Like, oh, like okay. that's not, the word um, I meant. <laughs> not um. There's a word from the Divergent series that like is the smart, uh, smart group of people. Okay. But no, luddite. like he okay. doesn't like using technology mm-hmm. unless he needs to. Mm-hmm. So he's not really big into his cell phone, or he he doesn't like them to bring their iPads to class. And he said because I see them not listening to me. Instead, they're looking at their computer screen, and I want them to make eye contact. And actually, I had a teacher. We get a lot of teachers. Like, we get a lot of kids. We get a lot of teachers at the bookshelf. And an educator came in the other day, and we were having this conversation. And she said, I didn't like technology in my classroom in that way, where every kid had a computer or an iPad. 
because I couldn't tell when they were confused. Mm -hmm. She said, because they weren't making eye contact with me and they weren't giving me those cues, Mm -hmm. like that look on their face of panic. She said, because they weren't panicked at the time. Mm -hmm. They were looking at their computer screen. And, you know, only later would she find out that they didn't really grasp the material. Um, And so I think that's really fascinating. I mean, I love, of course, we love all the things technology has to offer us, but I wonder if we're it's happening so fast and we're not going to realize the effects of it till much later. Uh, yeah, I think so. And it can be a great tool and I certainly would I would want my child to be able to use them. But right. yeah, to be able to create outside of that I think is going to be really important. And the other takeaway, I think Paul Tuff's first book or first or second book, The How Children Succeed, you know, it's grit. It's not how yeah. gifted you are. You, right. you can have a super high IQ. It's what you do with it. It's how hard you're willing to work. Yeah. Um, I loved that about very much more about perseverance. I think mm-hmm. he called, I think there were a few traits. It was like perseverance, curiosity, conscientiousness, optimism, and self-control. Yeah. And so it's funny you made, you listed those because I just posted on our, my Facebook page, this article, Mental Virtues by David Brooks from uh-huh. the New York Times. We should put that in the show notes too. Right. And it's very similar. Um, that the, there are traits that you can actually work on in yourself, but those self-control, perseverance, love of lifetime love of learning oh Um, yeah and I think that's so important I I remember as a kid I don't know I was very close with my granddad and my um, parents one of my one of my mom's favorite stories is that my granddad said oh Annie Annie loves to learn Uh and she likes finding out how to find the answer Uh and I mean at the risk of sounding like an arrogant person I like that about myself Uh I like that and I like that I married someone who wants to learn with me, and we're constantly trying to watch interesting things and read interesting things and surround ourselves with interesting people so mm-hmm. that we can learn more. I mean, right. you know, we really, I miss the college atmosphere because because of that. Not so much because, oh, I want to go back, you know, 10 years ago to college, but because I loved an environment that fostered that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I mean, I... At the end of the day, I want my children to be interesting people to sit down and have dinner with yeah. for years to come. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I want them to be around good people, but I want them to find interesting things out there in yeah. the world. And I think that's that's pretty key is just finding interesting things to expose them to and, and learning and yeah. teaching them that they can help create those things too. So Yeah. Well, great. We will include this list of books that we've kind of come up with of these education creativity, these these types of books. And I guess you wanted to end with this word fingerprint that you're popping on to me. Yes. Um, I have no idea what my word fingerprint is. So yesterday, again, something we will put in the show notes, I read this article that one of my favorite authors, Shauna Nequist, linked to. Um, it's a Slate article about your word fingerprint. Um, the premise being we all have a couple of, of, or a few key words that make up our vocabulary and that make us unique. Um, and they're just words maybe that are your pet words, really, I think is what it is. So I will share mine in a moment, but I want to give the example. Um, so we have hired a new social media girl at the bookshelf. She is doing a fantastic job. So Sydney, if you're listening, um, we love having you at the bookshelf. Sydney has two really big pet words that she uses, and I have noticed myself picking them up, um, which I think happens. happens and, yeah. the, and this late article talks about this. So Sydney thinks everything is awesome, that is awesome, or it is beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. And she'll be like, oh, that is beautiful. And I love it because she says it with such genuine enthusiasm. But now I'm starting to say them, and I'm like, no, 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 no. That's Sydney's word, please. There could be worse words. She's a positive person. That's right. She, well, and they totally go with her if you've met her. Um, but She's beautiful and awesome. Exactly. <laughs> and so Jordan and I last night were talking about what our words are. And I, I don't know. Maybe it's something you and Scott will have to talk about. Like somebody you spend a lot of time with notices these things. So Jordan said, my words are lovely. Uh huh. Wonderful, delightful, and then we move into the negative: unnecessary, excessive, and fair. And Jordan long ago told me that all of my pet peeves can be narrowed down to something I think is unnecessary or excessive. That noise is excessive. That car is unnecessary. That I'm very like, oh, that those are words I use, and I find myself using them all the time. Well, we should probably cut this short before it becomes unnecessary, but <laughs> I think my, my word fingerprint might be simpleton. I, I'd like to claim Luddite now that you <laughs> yeah, brought that, that up. Um, so you don't think you have a word fingerprint? I bet you do. Like, maybe it's like? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think that would have to be an observation an outsider would tell me, and then I'd get really conscientious about it and not want to know, so I might not ever have that conversation. That's true. I think you will notice more. And he, the article ends with um, his. he had a friend who used the word tremendous, uh-huh. and, and he love he said it totally went with his friend, and his friend would just say, oh, thanks for the link, that was tremendous, or, you know, thanks for that email. And then he had this guy who wrote the Slate article was writing someone and they wrote him back and said, by the way, nice use of the word tremendous. And he realized, and he went back through his emails in his outbox and he realized he'd started to use it. Uh-huh. And so I think we, our vocabulary becomes a lot about the people we're around, which maybe goes back to education and who we spend our time with. And um, our vocabulary, I guess, changes according to our peers. Dude, totally. (laughs) So, yes, I wanted to end on that note because I thought that was so fascinating. Maybe that's another word I use a lot, I think. Fascinating. (laughs) Interesting. Um, But anyway, uh, this has been great. Nice to get back in the swing of things. We will be back in a couple of weeks, but um, until then, happy reading. Thanks, Annie.